The Mitchells vs. The Machines is a brand new animated movie produced by Lord and Miller and released on Netflix this April. But is this fun for all the family or a mass manufactured machine monstrosity? Try saying that five times really fast. Hi, Mike. And I'm Darren. And this is Popscorn. Welcome to Popscorn, the Final Entertainment Movie Review Podcast, and today we will be taking a look at The Mitchells versus The Machines. Like I said, the brand new venture from Lord and Miller, although it does follow much in the same respect as uh, Into the Spider-Verse, in that they didn't direct it, but they were heavily involved. Uh, this one was directed by Mike Rianda uh, and released on April 30th this year on Netflix. It did get a theatrical release in the US, but obviously we've only just had our theatre. Uh, um, cinemas reopen was it last week darren i can't quite remember uh it was yes they opened on the wave of uh, a quiet place 2 being the big um attention getter but yeah they they godzilla versus kong is playing uh raya and the last dragon so they're playing catch up at the moment but yes uh we did get our cinemas back open but i don't think this is in any of them i think it was a very very limited us only release for this it was meant to come out last year um as a full release, it wasn't um, it wasn't bound for Netflix at all. It was going to be a proper film, but uh, due to everything, Netflix bought the rights off of Sony for the distribution, and here we are. I think they only put it in select theaters for the Oscar loophole, like mm. um, which is that like, we've seen that do that before, where they've literally run it in like um, I think Roma only ran in like three cinemas in LA for like a weekend, but that technically came to a theatrical lease and therefore can be Oscar worthy. Um, but yeah, so even though we've just had the Oscars, uh, I feel they've done that because they feel pretty good about this film's chances to win some next year. Yeah, this does feel like uh, Sony's coming back at it, trying to score their uh, their second animated Oscar after uh, Into the Spider-Verse. Obviously, that's not counting the one they won for animated short for Hair Love. But hey, they've got two. They'll try and get their third. Uh, now let's find out if that is going to be a possibility. Shall we start with the cast, Aaron? Uh, yeah, go for it. Uh, so we'll go first to our protagonist, Katie Mitchell, voiced by Abby Jacobson, uh, who is uh, part of a, this uh, very core family of four, the Mitchells. Uh, and c- the movie really concerns the strained relationship between her and her father, played by Danny McBride, who plays Rick Mitchell. I feel like you can't talk about one without talking about the other. So let's let's get them both down here, because this is where the core of the uh, of the conflict comes and for the most part, I did like it. I liked what they were doing with it. I have a few problems with the characterization of Rick, but I, I really did like Katie as a protagonist. Yeah, she's she's really enjoyable. I think all the family members are, to be fair. Um, there's nothing all that nuanced about the, the setup, at the very least, about this film of typical... It's, it's a coming-of-age kind of awkward like growing up film of you know the daughter is moving away for college her dad doesn't really get her i mean it's refreshing that it's the daughter for a change and not um 
the sun like we you know mm. other movies have gone down that route that was quite a nice change but yeah it's it's your usual i want to be a creative and i'm from a very um salt of the earth kind of home on the range type of family and and the conflict comes from there um the 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 mom whose name is linda and she's voiced by Maya rudolph and the son aaron who's voiced by the director mike uh Reander, um they don't really pick a side it's not like a complete schism in the family it is almost exclusively uh katie versus rick and yeah you're right they 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 find a way to make that dynamic really well where you can see where both sides are coming from there's not like a there's not like a real central conflict between them and i think that actually kind of helps the film it's actually a lot more realistic than that there's no one big thing that makes them dislike each other or anything like that it's just a lot of little things which is typical with any teenager really um of not really feeling like your voice is being heard versus when you see it from the dad's point of view he's trying his best but he doesn't really understand her passion for filmmaking uh she's moving away to uh i think they come from michigan and she's going to california to go and study in film school um but yeah, n- nothing real typical sorry nothing really exceptional about that setup but i think for the most part it works yeah, the the setup for the first, uh, well, the setup in the first act of the movie to prepare for the second act is probably the bit where I am the most critical of the character of Rick, because I think it comes on in leaps and bounds in terms of the story, which obviously you would expect a character like that to go through an arc. Um, Very mild spoiler alert for the very start of the movie. Uh, Rick spoiler ma- alert. Ooh, lovely. Rick makes a decision about how Katie is going to get to california which i think is questionable i'm not sure whether that is indicative of what they try to set up with this character going forward there are a number of sequences that show rick's qualities as a father and what makes him an interesting character and i don't that's where i felt like it was a bit forced i don't think that the decision that rick makes is something that rick would see as a good thing to do knowing what he knows about his family and i think that is a very very small dent into what i think is otherwise a pretty solid story yeah i see where you're coming from i feel like they 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 have to make that decision so again very very mild spoilers they katie was originally flying to film school but rick decided to instead drive them cross country um to to do that and then she, that kind of really sets the fire ablaze for the arguments because she's now missing out on freshers week and all the kind of inauguration events that are happening at her college so yeah it's a storytelling crooks because you know we have to get them in a kind of claustrophobic environment and put them all in the same place and drag this out mm. but yeah i can see where you're going from from a from a character point of view it doesn't make all that much because it basically makes um the dad rick seem really tone deaf to the situation mm. um you can see his heart's in the right place, but yet you'd think he's not that dumb. Like, he's not completely, like, off-key with what his daughter wants and needs. Mm. So, yeah, I see it, but it is just a, a storytelling crux at the end of the day. Yeah, it, it it's done purely to get these characters into the scenario that they need for the rest of the journey, which I understand. I mean, we, we've seen enough films that have done exactly this. Um and you get why that decision was made. I think 
what makes it seem a little bit egregious is that there's some really really nice scenes with rick and it shows like they could have they could have made rick a very intolerant tone deaf and then just have him do a 180 at the end of the movie and that's not what they've chosen to do they show rick as yes very much a stereotypical american father but you know with a passion for like creative woodwork Mm. and actually being an engaging father to both katie and aaron um like you get a lot of home video footage there's a sequence that really reminds me of like imagine like the first four minutes of up with dialogue and it's really touching and it's like it shows that that rick is not necessarily just a stereotypical asshole he is a well-meaning well-intended character who unfortunately is stuck in kind of his own way of evaluating worth in the world and that's Mm -hmm. far more interesting than just as punishment for disobeying me we're going on a road trip and it's not it's not presented that way but the reaction from katie and then like those origin those initial scenes where the road trip begins it very much is like it's it would be more suited into a film like matilda for example it feels a little bit out of place here but good news that's the only bad thing i have to say about the film oh wow okay good because i uh okay balls on the table this is fucking brilliant isn't it (laughs) how how on fucking earth has this film studio in the space of four years gone from the fucking emoji movie to this that makes no sense with um with spider-verse in the middle as well like they made one of the best spider-man movies and now they're cranking out like properly madcap irreverent humor that is genuinely laugh a minute it's fucking excellent what they managed to make here. God bless whoever is in charge of Star Wars these days for sacking Lord and Miller off of Solo. Because I feel like they've just taken all of that anger, taken it, just Sony has managed to just funnel that. It's like, do you want to come over here and make whatever the hell movie you want? And they've gone, yes. Uh, and they've taken, <laughs> they've taken all the chances. Like, again, they don't direct this. They're only producers on it. But their fingerprints are all over this um we'll talk about the kind of animation style later but just in terms of the characters it's it's that same blend of like you you get where they're coming from they feel even though this is a very over the top world we're living in they they feel grounded they feel realistic to a certain point but then they are fully capable of going over the top of the moment's notice when the the script calls for it which Mm. makes it a very very easy movie to watch it flows by so well um because like it's fairly typical up until the robot apocalypse happens i hope that's not a spoiler for you um we we get spent time and and, and all all the four central characters are enjoyable we've talked about uh the dad and the daughter there but yeah my rudolph as linda the mom um she's quite unassuming i think she takes the longest to kind of come into her own Mm, but yeah she maybe has the best part of the movie near the end (laughs) i know exactly the bit you're talking about it's fucking great i i like that that um this isn't necessarily it's not trying to be an american dysfunctional family in the way that like oh the the parents hate each other their marriage is straight it's not like it's not trying to be married with children Mm. it it linda is such it she i mean the namesake, it's almost exactly the same character as Linda from Bob's Burgers, who is just very positive, very reassuring, 
there's, there's a scene where she's trying to get their pug, um, mo- uh, what's his name? Monchi? Yep. Yeah, Monchi. Trying to get the pug Monchi to uh, look forward with both of his eyes. He doesn't really do anything. He's like, you know what? You get an A for effort, Buster. <laughs> I'm like, what a lovely, like, like environment for these kids to grow up in. That Like, they've got a slightly more critical but nevertheless creative father and a very emotionally supportive mother and and the dysfunction doesn't come from their their ability to you know be civil to each other it it comes in the clash of their emerging personalities which is so much more interesting to watch um (laughs) and and you don't get much from from the son you don't get much from aaron mitchell but they unfortunately spore his best gag in the trailer, which is him with a, like what can only be described as a yellow page. He's phoning people up being like, do you want, do you want to talk about dinosaurs? No. Okay. Thank you. And they're like crossing it out and phoning the next person. <laughs> that hit a bit too close to home for me. Cause I feel if I had had access to the yellow pages when I was young, I probably would have phoned around everybody asking if they wanted to talk about dinosaurs with me. Cause <laughs> God knows my parents had put up with enough of that business that they weren't willing to talk any more dinosaurs with Darren. Uh, yeah, it's it's weird because obviously the director's done it. They make very little effort to make him sound like an actual like twelve year old. He yeah. sounds like a man, like mm. he sounds like a thirty year old. So it's a bit strange that choice. But again, that's that is nitpicking because he's also. Um, quite a fun addition to this family as well. They all work. It works very well as a cohesive unit all the relationships are very very clearly well defined um throughout all of it and it's really good at kind of drawing comedy from every one of their interactions throughout the movie and also like they get to the emotional beats as well it does a very very good job of kind of balancing the humor with everything else it's trying to achieve this movie um in terms of the supporting cast around them uh, eric andre plays dr mark bowman uh he's like the uh, the Steve Jobs of the situation. He has made, um, I think it's called Pal Laboratories, isn't it? Yeah. Um, which I kept saying as Hal Laboratories, and I was like, no, very different. Um, but they, um, he, he has basically invented Apple and Siri, and his equivalent of Siri is called Pal. It's voiced by Olivia Coleman. Um, and he inadvertently starts the robot uprising by trying to invent. Um, you know, helper robots, it's basically like iRobot, um, but on a much larger scale, uh, they turn against him, and that's what causes uh, the Mitchells to be the last people alive, basically, through happenstance. Uh, it's just those four and two slightly defective robots, um, <laughs> played by uh, Fred Armiston and Beck Bennett, um, in a in a battered old car driving across country trying to uh, save the universe. So that that's a pretty stacked like uh, supporting cast around them. It is, yeah. Just Olivia Coleman alone would be considered pretty stacked, and you can tell she's having fun with this, which I really mm. appreciate. They they've got somebody that is a big get, and they haven't wasted them. They've allowed Olivia Coleman to be the same kind of like silly comedic actor she was before. She achieved Hollywood greatness with The Favourite, even though I hate that movie. Um, this feels more like the same Olivia Coleman that would have been on uh, that Mitchell and Webb look, for example. Um, so it really works for me. I, I think it's I mean, I, I'm up for any British domination of any medium. Uh, unfortunately, not Eurovision again this year, but less about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we could talk about that, but let's let's remain positive. Um 
but yeah, no, she's she's great. She's really funny. She she understands, you know, exactly how to ham it up in the right kind of ways. Um, I I wish they'd done more with Eric Andre, just knowing what a madcap person he is, and I feel like they've actually got him to play somewhat of a more straight laced person, someone who, towards the end of the movie, has to deal with like the consequences of their like levity at the disposability of technology i guess is that what they're going for i could be way off the mark with that but i'm not entirely sure um but <laughs> but yeah fred armison and beck bennett as um eric and deborah bot 5000 <laughs> um they're the MB- mvps of this film like mm-hmm. no question they are fucking brilliant <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're added fairly early on, so they, they have the initial attack. They're stopped at, like, a, a dinosaur pit stop somewhere for the kid. Uh, de- robots descend. Um, they, they're they trying their best to kind of fight them off, um, and they manage to crush two of them behind, the, underneath, like, a giant dinosaur. Um, that kind of makes them no longer obedient to the main AI, um, and they kind of start... Basically, they start to have, like, a... Um, uh, what's the word? Like a singularity happens. Like they can start to question their own programming. It's like, oh, we can do what we want. We have free will. Oh my god. Um, yeah, I won't go into the two. Admittedly, I watched it three weeks ago, so some of the jokes may have faded from memory slightly. But um, yeah, they are really, really nice um, additions to this film. Um, trying to pretend that they're not actually robots, but they are still humans. Um, basically, becoming surrogate kids to um, Linda Mitchell. Um, yeah. Fantastic. Every, every, there's no weak link here. Um, even uh, John Legend and Chrissy Chrissy Teigen showing up as like the Mitchells, like super functional, super happy, yoga loving um, neighbors, mm. really works as well as like a very obvious counterpoint to how weird and quirky the Mitchells are. It's all firing on all cylinders. I feel like they could have probably given Olivia Coleman a bit more room to choose the scenery like i feel like it's a good performance but i feel they really could have gone over the top with it um they 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 feel like they i would have been happy if we'd spent more time with that character but they don't really she's there a good amount but i feel like they could have done more with her if they really wanted to yeah there was definitely room for more of it but i felt like they really wanted to focus on the family aspect no less because i think there are elements of the katie and aaron characters that are very much supposed to be mike reander's family story outside of the you know robot apocalypse i guess Mm -hmm. um because that that's very much alluded to and this is a this is only a spoiler for the credit sequence which nobody will watch anyway uh but you see a lot of uh, family photos from mike reander's childhood at the end and it kind of contextualizes the decisions that they've made in the characterizations of the family in this movie mm. and that's very much based on his life which i really like i think that they they found the right balance with that it doesn't feel too um i was about to say it doesn't feel too uh oh what's that Oh, there's a sitcom and it's and it and it's set in the eighties, the Goldbergs. It it doesn't lean too heavily on the tropes that the Goldbergs has. Mm-hmm. Um and it allows room for, like you say, it's got Lord and Miller's fingerprints all over it. So there's a perfect marrying of the the oddball humour and the genuine like family emotive scenes. And I think it's yeah. really effective. I will just say <laughs> I have to, I have to rem- remind you of at least one um, Eric and Deborah Bot moment, which is just after they 
uh, become defective and and it's them laying out the next two acts of the movie it's like <laughs> you could you have to go on this perilous journey it's like oh you could just go to a store yes but you'll <laughs> never make it it's only 80 kilometers away why are you like this <laughs> <laughs> i forgot about that the bit in the shopping mall is that the best part it might be because we get oh furbies are back yeah. And finally, we have a medium that fu- fully accepts, understands, and showcases the demonic power of the Furby. Um, <laughs> it is wonderful how <laughs> the giant Furby, and how they're all basically a cult to the giant Furby, who yeah. will bring death and destruction upon you. Oh, it's oh, beautiful. It's got that sequence has got my absolute favourite gag of the entire movie, which is the platoon of Roombas being defeated by an escalator. Oh yeah, <laughs> and the voice they've chosen for the Roombas is fucking perfect. Oh, if you, if you tell, couldn't tell, we really like this film. I'm just about to say the exact same thing. Yeah, we're very very high on it. Um, I don't know how much more we can say without really getting into spoilers. Although we haven't touched on the anim- animation yet, we it's... haven't. It's doing that Spider-Verse thing where sometimes it makes a choice that I'm like, hey, I'm not too keen on that. But for the most part, it's really good. It's very unique in that it's basically, it's like the film has been re-edited by Katie Mitchell because she's trying to go to film school. And she's got a very quirky style of uh, video production. Mm. And they kind of spicing her, like her animations crop up over the top of the film so it's basically her retelling of this um of this story Mm. so that that's kind of its quirk like how spider-man its thing was like the comic book kind of aesthetic that's this film's aesthetic sometimes i think it doesn't really work but for the key moments and for the most part the general animation is real good they've stuck with a certain art style as well outside of the the almost like notepad scribble-esque editions from from katie which i thought were really it's effective in a film that is supposed to be about a filmmaker retelling a story or buy it a a fictional one of their own experiences Mm. because it it does feel like the film has a voice that way even if it is being filtered through the fictional katie mitchell but just the general art style of the movie it's very colorful they've gone with you know, th- those kind of weird cartoony proportions. They've not tried to make it look like Spider-Verse, where it is very much outside of the kingpin, quite normal looking people. You know, uh, Rick-, Rick Mitchell is basically a triangle on top of a giant circle. But it it works. It looks, it's really nice to look at. Linda Mitchell's kind of like a, like a squashed oval with a giant nose. And it, it works in this cartoony environment because it that weird look to all those characters is then conducive to the utter chaos that happens in the actual plot so you end up not questioning any of the design choices and how this family mm. barely look related instead you're going along with the chaos so i, I think it really really works this is gonna sound weird but the, there's a point for inclusivity and one not against it necessarily but it's a bit strange that so my rudolph is voicing linda so they've changed their skin tone to be slightly closer to what my rudolph is Mm. Um, and your boy, uh, where is he? Danny McBride is playing the dad, but both Katie and Aaron are like white as paper. So I'm like, shouldn't they have like a slightly different skin tone if they're from a mixed race parentage? But mm. eh. So lost loose point there. The maximum points for like 
Katie Mitchell identifies as a lesbian and you could easily quite easily miss that it is handled it is like the tenth most important thing about her like they don't really make a point of it until right at the end when Mm. you go like oh and that's very refreshing great that's how inclusivity works well done the Mitchells versus the Machines yeah they just show it and it's not a question it is not a revelation it is not you know Oh no, Katie and Rick are arguing because Katie's a lesbian and Rick's an old white guy. It's it's not that. It it it's so, it's so much deeper than that. And like you say, it waits until the very end of the movie to explicitly show something. It's hinted at in the opening minutes of the movie because mm-hmm. Katie talks about it took her a while for her to find out who she is, and now she's getting to express that through her filmmaking. And you're like, oh, okay, that could mean a lot of things. And it turns out it means not only her creative style, the way that she also communicates with the family. It might have also meant her sexuality. Dope awesome it's not ever made into a big issue it is just this is who this character is we present them as they are i love that i think that's brilliant perfect right is there anything else you want to talk about before we get into some spoilers i don't believe so it's interesting to think about how much this would have made had it gone to um to cinemas because it was made on a budget of a re- it's somewhere between 50 and 100 million dollars mm-hmm. they've not actually exp- um given an exact figure so it's not it certainly ain't a cheap movie but it's um it's not been it, i put it this way it's not been as, as expensive to make as the lego movie was no. so i think with what they've done with the resources available to them they've just allowed the creative talent that they've managed to rope in most notably lord of miller to just go ape with it and if there's ever going to be a case for having more author driven projects i think this is it especially when it comes to animation we're starting to get a bit of that so for example on the um on the voice cast they actually brought in uh alex hirsch to play a bit part alex hirsch is actually responsible for um a very popular disney animated series called gravity falls amongst other things so i think there is now this kind of more understanding and leaning into how effective animation can be as a storytelling device it's a shame it's you know we're 20 odd years removed from toy story and that's only just happening you know something that outside of the pixar bubble can actually be seen as um like creatively interesting but fuck it if they're gonna make shit like this i'm happy that it's happening now Mm-hmm. yeah it's it's really refreshing i do agree i don't know how well it was done at cinema because i heard literally nothing about this film until it came out now obviously we operate in different times so um had this got the full theatrical release it would have been fine but i think word of mouth word of mouth is what made me want made me watch it in the first place and then i gave you the recommendation of like go and check this shit out immediately so maybe that's it would have done i I think it's going to go down maybe this might be the because like netflix doesn't really do animated movies this is the first one i can think of that was like a real big tentpole for them Mm. um i know they've got some animated series but not really animated movies that are wholly their own so maybe this is the first wave of that so if they're as good as this fucking more power to them uh right real quick spoiler alert so I like the running gag of not being able to tell what the pug is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that is like the, the fucking hole in the Death Star for the robots that they just cannot figure out if it's a 
what is it? dog pig dog pig dog pig loaf of bread and then <laughs> <Yeah>. they break <laughs> <laughs> oh they, they set that gag up so well so that when it they they actually repeat the gag several times in the uh in the final act and every time it pops up it's so good yeah my, my favorite one is when it just it's like a very quickly like they redeploy the gag like i think it's um a, like one of the Palmax r- robots catches like a giant piece of the building yeah. and then Monchi's just sat next to him and he's like is that a and then drops the thing <laughs> <laughs> it's like midway through an action sequence it's like real blinking you miss it stuff and it's it's so well handled there's a lot of running gags in this film that pay off quite nicely um that one chief amongst them but also like the the dog cop stuff kind of coming full circle uh to be fair most of it involves the pug um but yeah it's it's oh what was i going to say i want to you were you going to mention the uh the rick mitchell maneuver oh yeah that like (laughs) coming full circle as well um that i like that they had that little wooden moose the whole way through and that was a one thing from her dad that she treasures Mm. even for all this trouble and then it turns out that you know he built his own house and that was like one of the the ornaments on the on the front porch that he had to give up because they had to go and move into a more conventional house because they just had katie and how that kind of shows that you know he has he, he he is even a creative type and always has been but he just doesn't communicate well enough with his daughter who's just a different type of creative person mm. If they just talked to each other more, they wouldn't have as many conflicts. If they could understand, you know, and have that avenue of conversation to kind of go down to understand each other more, better. I think that's ultimately the story it's trying to tell. I don't think it's really trying to tell us about the evils of, um, you know, mass AI. Like that, that's that's kind of secondary. I think it's more about communication and being accepting to who people are and trying to find avenues to of, of understanding. Uh, particularly within your own family when that type of thing can bubble up so that's a very nice message to base a film on it is yeah there are like there are swathes like well it's not swathe it's more like a a gentle coloring of like technophobia but it's mostly played for laughs like when when rick is trying to shut down the um the ai and accidentally changes the settings to spanish like stuff like that of just that playing on that trope of uh people past a certain age not being able to use computers it, uh, that i mean that rings well for our generation because we often feel like we're doing tech support for our parents most of the time so they've they've identified a a an avenue for comedy there which is good but it's not meant to be a oh put down the phones and talk like i think that's what they were trying to do with emoji movie or were they is that am I trying to give that movie more of a credit than it's actually deserved? Was that the plot of that film? Because I didn't watch it. I, I, neither did I. I was about to ask if you had, and I was like going to question everything I thought I knew about you, but uh, I'm fucking no. It was we got <laughs> Sir Patrick Harris to be the poop emoji. I think that was the height of fucking nuance in that film. So no idea. Um, no, I can't imagine any firm that would sign off on the use of their emojis would in any way have that movie be about the evils of emojis so mm, good point <clears throat> so there we are there was something i wanted to mention and it just completely jumped out of my mind hopefully it will come back but uh that doesn't look likely um <laughs> is yeah, it it's... that 
Dave, um, oh, 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 hang on, was it was it um, Linda Mitchell's action sequence? Oh my God, it was Linda Mitchell's action sequence. This is the height of this movie. So she basically <laughs> goes fucking Super Saiyan at some point um, <laughs> because the, the robots are about to hurt. Um, so right near the end of the film, they're trying to shut down the mainframe. Basically, they're trying to delete Skynet, and um, the, the the robots are about to hurt Aaron, and she just goes Super Mom. And she's just blowing up people left and right. And there's a great bit where they catch up to um, Rick and Katie. And Aaron kind of leans over her shoulder and goes, yeah, mom's going to be crazy. Um, while she's blowing up things left and left, right and centre. And then just like, it's okay, baby. Mommy's got you. Um, I remember what the point I wanted to make. So you, you wanted to have a central song and you chose... The Maya He remix song. Yeah, that was weird, right? That's I I I completely forgotten about the existence of the Rihanna Maya He song, but here we are. It kind of works, like when her and um when when Casey and Rick are plowing through the 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 robots Mitchell style. I, I I'm aggrieved to say it does actually kind of work. It's just like really like that feels like it, it feels symptomatic of like almost Ready Player One of like that's just something the director really wanted in there, so mm. he put it in there without any real reason for it. If you get what I mean, like how Ready Player One is just full of whatever the author wanted to talk about from his childhood, regardless yeah. of if anyone else gave a shit. Uh, I feel that's how his son got there. Yeah, because cause I don't understand what the point of that song is, because I really like that they establish that this is a known entity in the home video sequence, which I think is yeah. really sweet. Um, and, you know, I, I quite I would have liked if they chosen A, a better song and B, used it more than twice. I think it could have been really, really emotive. But they they missed an opportunity to have Rick try to play the song and Katie not respond to it anymore. Uh. Which I think would have like, because they they try to have that emotional dip in the middle, and I really think that would have you know twisted the knife a little bit. It would have been, it would have been really painful to see Rick like have that one thing, and it's still not register, and that would have really really helped the script out. Not that it has any problems, but you know I think they could have they could have really done a bit more with that. Why why of all things like is it because are they trying to like that song can't be that old, right? Because Katie Mitchell's, like, going into college age, right? So yeah. she's, what, 16, 18, something like that? That song can't be 16 or 18 years old. They're not trying to do it as, like, a, this film is set in 2021 thing, right? I'm working on it. Hang on. Yeah, I think it's set in 2021. Right, let's go to IMDb. Let's go find some soundtrack. Whilst you're looking for that, can I talk about one of my favourite sequences in the movie as well? And it might Absolutely. surprise you. It's Go a on. bit where... So the big plot of the uh, the villain side of the story is... So so Pal, after being basically cast aside and t- being told that they're obsolete, manages to take over all the robots, cause the robot apocalypse, and people are being captured and are being put into what can only be described as giant flying Vs uh, mm. to be shot into space to suffocate and die. And there is a great bit where it's it's weeks. It's voiced by Conan O'Brien as well, where they do something called Foolish Human Airlines. 
<laughs> and it's like, oh, your flight time will be indefinite and you will die. Have a pleasant journey. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, I want to know who wrote the script for this because they are so goddamn talented. Uh, it was written by Mike Rianda and Jeff Rowe. So well done to the both of them. Like, the, 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 all the the humour hits. It, it is joke after joke after joke. Some of them are really quick. Some of it, it's it, it reaches airplane levels at points. It doesn't sustain to the level that airplane does, obviously, but it, it's really up there. <laughs> the Roomba gag got me so hard. I had to pause the movie. I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't ready for the oh ow 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 ow. Fucking right. Healthy. Research indicates that this uh, that the Live Your Life remix. Um, came out in 2008, so it is uh, uh, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. So, okay, if she's so, what, oh god, what age do you go to college in America? That's got to be about 18, right? Surely, surely it's that, 18, because that's like most of the college movies are based around the fact that they're not supposed to be drinking until they're 21, right? Yeah, so I think that would make her about seven years old when she's singing that song. So. Mm. Eh, fair enough. That lines up pretty well. I just... Why that one? Why? <laughs> why not the original, you know, the Dragostadinte? Like, the original Maya Haha song? Not that I would ever be completely in favour of putting that in anything, but that would make slightly more sense than the remix of it by T.I. and Rihanna. But anyway, there we are. Yeah, it's it. there's so many standout moments that we could literally sit here for like another half an hour and go through them. But I... I couldn't give this a more uh, i couldn't give it a higher recommendation i am just gonna have a quick check i don't think it currently sits at number one though i still think i preferred godzilla to kong to it but it's pretty much in the running for silver medal at the moment oh it's gonna be on my top 10 for sure Th- oh, this is gonna be hard 100%. to dislodge 100 percent um i don't think this is going anywhere anytime soon but uh yeah, excellent movie. Lord and Miller are gaining uh, I Will Watch Anything You Do status pretty rapidly. Um, I think one more and they're nailed on for, right, well, I'm with you to whatever you want to show me. But, uh, yeah, go and watch it. It's it's up there on Netflix right now. I don't know if it's going to be there forever, just because, you know, this might have finally been a limited run thing. And, you know, it'll, I don't think Sony have... Sony don't have a streaming service, do they? They don't. I, I think it would be foolish of them to do it. Um, weirdly, though, they have... Was it Sony signed some exclusivity deals with D- uh, Disney recently, didn't they? Yeah, I just remembered. Yeah, they signed one. Netflix gets all the first-run stuff, but then it's going to be archived on Disney+. Plus. So, yeah, it definitely ain't going anywhere anytime soon. So you've got no excuse to go and check this out right now. None whatsoever. I mean, just just very quickly before we go, Lord and Miller, like Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, the Jump Street movies, the Lego movie, Spider Verse, now this. Wow. Uh huh. <laughs> that's quite the filmography. I mean, you have got Solo in there because they're not credited for their for the original direction, uh, but they are credited as executive producers on that movie. And you know, the Lego Movie Two was fine. It was okay. It wasn't brilliant, mm. but you know, I, I mean, I really love Credit with a Chance of Meatballs as well. And again, the sequel's not so great, but that's no. the one that they were less directly involved with. If you look at the ones where they act as um, writer directors, Credit with a Chance of Meatballs and the Lego Movie, two brilliant movies. And then you look at the ones where they 
are bringing in their own talent, but still having a direct hand in the movie. So now that would be uh, Spider-Man and now the Mitchells versus Machines. Bloody hell. Like these guys are going to be catching up with uh, with Edgar Wright if they carry on this way. <laughs> I also find it funny that uh, the, the Wikipedia for uh, Lord and Miller is a joint Wikipedia. that They don't get their own. That's <laughs> a real shame. <laughs> I literally just found that out the same as well. Um, so, well, I've just seen what they've got coming up. Um, we're getting a Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse sequel. Something called Premonition, a Pandemic Story. Oh, boy, I'm not looking forward to the next few years of uh, fucking everything being about the pandemic. Oh, oh God, joy. Yeah. Well, we just, I've... You know, when we got all those movies um, that were how evil the Middle East was after 9-11, it's going to be like yeah. that. Well, we still got to get through. We haven't even got to the first wave of aren't, isn't the president a fucking idiot, Milne? Which I feel like have to come at some point. There's no way that the liberals would have taken Trump being in charge that well that we wouldn't get a slay of those movies. But then mm. pandemic movies are going to be pretty fucking fast after that too. So happy days ahead. But alas, everything I, I've liked everything else they've done, so maybe they'll find a way to make the pandemic funny. And that truly will be a fucking career high point if you can pull that off. <laughs> <laughs> that's the biggest challenge in fact that's what i want to see them do now even safepod didn't do it all that well so uh, uh good luck to them that might have been because they were still dealing with leftover because they've tried to do serialization in south park now haven't they although i did yes. enjoy almost everything with tegrity weed so you know <laughs> oh tegrity got on my tits i was not about it <laughs> uh well there we go anyway if you couldn't tell, it's a massive recommendation for Mitchell's vs. Machines. It's still on Netflix now, so please do go and watch it. It is wonderful. In the meantime, you can go and find me on Twitter and Instagram and at that Myco, and you can go and find Darren on Twitter and Instagram and at the Guttridge. You can find the site on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook under the usernames Valiant T. That's F O U L E N T. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever you can pick up an RSS feed under the username FowlyNT or FowlyNT Podcast, depending on the service you are using. And of course, go to Foundertainment.com for more podcasts and more articles from your two favourite boys. What's coming up next, Darren? I think we're on the eve of E3, aren't we? We are, yes. So E3 is taking place um, over a weekend, which might be a little bit tricky for our normal release order. But alas, we will be covering everything coming out of E3, which if you don't know is the big video game kind of press conference of the year. We didn't get last year. Um, A few people are missing from this year, but um, hopefully we'll be coming out with a lot of video game news, really mapping out the next 12 months for us. Uh, we have just put out a review for new Pokemon Snap as well, so you can go check that out over on the website. And then coming up in the not-so-different future, we do have uh, Black Widow, of course, coming out in early July, as well as the low-key TV series. So that and much more on the way over on FailingEntertainment.com. Plenty to listen to, so uh, please go and check that out. I'm not going to get another opportunity to say it, but uh, Eurovision this year was pretty good. Um i've never seen failure like it it was nice um oh god wasn't it nice to just to see a proper live show after two years of there not being one massively so it was a really strong night to be honest for for most people but uh oh boy it wasn't fun <laughs> to it got a great laugh out of us because i genuinely thought it was impossible for a country to score nil point anymore but uh alas i mean our guy was horrifically out of tune so yeah uh I don't blame them, but for we need to send the darkness. Just let them have a go at it, because they're the right level of camp that it might just work. 
we've got to stop sending fucking Pontins level people. <laughs> like, that's never, we're never going to win with a fucking Butlins on a Tuesday night fucking act, are we? <laughs> oh, that's exactly what we said. That's awful. It's so true. <laughs> <laughs> we, we we contribute so much and then we don't give a fuck about the act we send and then people wouldn't oh and we have also spent five the past five years telling europe to go fuck itself so i wonder why we're not popular darren <laughs> it does really, i mean we could probably send adele and they'd probably send them back do you know who we should send elton john would be fucking perfect for eurovision <laughs> he he would fucking wipe the floor with that business but yeah i mean at least we tell like it somewhat seriously. You can tell Germany fucking checked out this shit. Uh, uh, they've checked out every year since they won in 2010. They're like, well, we've won this decade. That's fine by us. Fuck me, they send some shit. I feel like Germany are like the most out-of-kilter country in the entirety of Europe. They don't understand music outside of Rammstein. No. <laughs> uh, what I loved about... Sorry, uh, if, if you wanted to hear the movie review, tune out now. We just want to have a couple of minutes of Eurovision because we fucking love it. Um, that, <laughs> Germany's entry, there is a great point. Uh, if you were to pause it, it's a point where you've got a giant middle finger, a man dressed like he is going to Pontins. Uh, and they're supposed to be singing a song about how they don't feel hate. And then the graphic behind them just says hate in giant letters. <laughs> oh, it's I... so good. I have to give credit to the producers of Eurovision because they put I don't feel hate a song about I don't feel hate I just feel sad or whatever business which had a woman dressed as a giant hand who most of the time was giving the finger whether inadvertently or not and then the next song was literally a load of Finnish lads sounding like what if Slipknot decided to do some Linkin Park covers (laughs) and they had a song about one of the lines is literally so hold your middle finger up and the producers told them you aren't allowed to give people the bird so you went from basically a German Saturday morning kids TV show which had someone giving the bird the biggest bird ever given in Eurovision history and then put Finland on immediately with a very hateful song where they're not allowed to swear. (laughs) That is is a beautiful crescendo of things. Um, Yeah, Norway. If and when I ever do get to have a bachelor party, I want to go dressed like Norway was, in a big white pimp coat with angel's wings. Oh, my God. Like Axl Rose is ascending to heaven. That's the look I want. Oh boy! Oh. I, I'm so he got so few points. I felt so bad because like it was a good song and he he looked phenomenal. Yeah. I have I have to live the rest of my life knowing I'm never gonna look as dope as Norway fucking did. <laughs> oh man, he was yeah. That song was quite good. I I I, I rated it. We did the whole um doing the uh our, our twelve ten eight and then the rest of the right. ones at home. Um, I did give my 12 to Iceland. I did vote for Iceland because you can't not vote for Daniel Gagmagnit. Like, it's it's just, they're just great. They would have won last year if it was actually on. Um, yeah. And th- well, just he just writes such sweet songs. The one from last year was about how he couldn't wait to get to know his newly born daughter because he wants to find out about her personality and what she thinks about things. And then the one he did this year was uh, I've been with my wife for 10 years and he gets better every day. I'm like, that is so precious. It's so precious. They did okay. They got a big chunk of the public vote, didn't they? But they didn't... uh... Overall, they did quite well. What the fuck were people seeing in Switzerland? I don't get it. I understand it was... He had great vocal control, but why was he dressed in black bin bags? It was weird. 
Right, and he was next to like one of those like impossible shape things. I was like, "What? <laughs> yeah. What is what is this about?" Um, the 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 height of comedy was Greece using 1980s green screen technology to have some clothes dancing next to a woman. Oh yeah, was... if, if you like uh, early Doctor Who, this was the entry for you. I was like, if it was a silly song, this would work really well. But clearly, like, the woman was taking this deathly serious. Mm. And I'm like, this just doesn't work. You can't think this... Does someone think this looks cool and good? Because I got some revelations for them sooner or later. But, yeah, they... I what? Who did I back? I was all on board. I thought the French song... Oh boy! <laughs> oh yeah, Parisian ambience, the song. Yeah, <laughs> the most French thing. What I, t- I texted you saying, like, if she was wearing a beret and holding a baguette, it would somehow be less French. <laughs> like, this is the most French thing that has ever happened. <laughs> and it was just, it was basically just her going ta-da the entire time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought, well, this is. I felt that was nailed on. I feel bad for Russia because. She, oh my God, you sang a counter-Russian protest song as the Russian entry. She's going to be in a fucking gulag by Monday. Yeah, she like, she lost. And, and they would have sent Little Big if uh, last year, who were like, it was between them and Iceland to win if it, if, if last year ah. was going to go ahead. And Little Bing are like, they're, so, they're such a big act in Russia. They don't need to do Eurovision. So like, Russia wanted to win because uh, I don't know how much you know about like the other the selection process in the countries. The Kremlin picks the entry in Russia. Uh oh. Like the government pick who they want to send. When they send an internationally recognised band, even if it is just for the fact that they are a meme, it's because they wanted to fucking win. So uh, I think they wanted to win last night. And it didn't work out for them. So the Kremlin signed off on. That song that was all about tolerance and you know accepting other people's races, um, they were they were okay they they were okay with that message. If it wins in the competition, they're okay with anything. Ah, right. Joe, you know what really kicked us in the dick? Israel got yeah. a lot more points in the public vote than we did. Well, and I'm like, we got fuck all, so it's you know. <laughs> It's, it's it's not it's yeah it's literally possible to get less than us but I'm like really like because it's all political like mm. I guess most I was like Scandinavian like well this is going to Finland fucking Bulgaria well this is going to Moldova Moldova well this is going to Bulgaria and so on uh, and yet Israel got a significantly more points than a lot of other people who aren't currently bombing you know innocent people so <laughs> yeah. we're never gonna win if if israel can be literally committing war crimes last week and now you know yeah, walk they, into about 60 points no problem they had a ceasefire when eurovision was on and i'm assuming that was p- tr- to try and get more points <laughs> i don't know if it's that important to them but like uh, israel won it recently they won it in 2018 yeah so like it's not like they're not... An, and they sent a fairly talented singer, and obviously she's got nothing to do with the genocide that's going on over there, but, like, we can't no. even compete with people, com- you know, committing war crimes on a daily basis. We are so hated on the continent. She, she hit... So she was the one who hit the high note, wasn't she? Yeah, B6, the highest note the... recorded in Eurovision. It sounded 
god awful, but fair play for trying. I think I was trying to sort out my Caribbean food at this point. I just heard, I was like, either some foxes are having sex or she's hit the note. So <laughs> who can really tell? Sorry, everybody, if you weren't into the federal entertainment hot takes on Eurovision. Um, this isn't coming out for two weeks, so they're incredibly cold Eurovision takes by the time <laughs> you hear them. But yeah, yeah we're just recording. go and see. Yeah, we're recording Norway's code. So um, this is pretty fresh in my mind. I'm I'm glad it, Italy won. That's a good song. Uh, yeah, I, I always find it a little bit. I know this is the most British sentence you could possibly say, but when they're singing in their own languages, I find it a little hard to get on board with. I was more in the Finland camp than Italy, but yeah, it was it was. I'm glad Switzerland didn't win, and I'm incredibly glad Germany didn't win. So <laughs> cool. We would have um, had to really look at ourselves as a species if Germany had won. Oh, I thought I thought it might. I was like, well, this is the exact level of shite that could do well. Having said that, the Paddy sent Jedwood, and uh, I never got anywhere. So well, they, uh, they always got really through tell. to the final with Jedwood. They sent this woman. Uh, well, would have sent this woman last year, Leslie something, Leslie Roy, I think. Uh, And she didn't qualify, much like how um, Australia didn't qualify for the final. But everyone was like, oh, that's because they weren't in the arena. Um, So it lost the Uh... the impact. But then Iceland got through, so it just showed that Australia had sent the wrong act. Yeah. Yeah, the second, that's when the writing was on the wall. When when the Irish didn't give us any points and then Australia didn't give us any points. I was like, well, that's our two friends gone. So we've lost the colonies vote. So that's it. (laughs) Yeah, I thought maybe Portugal because we put him on the green list. No, um, so ah well, just gonna, it, it, the only way is up. We can't possibly do worse than this next year. So who knows? Hopefully, we'll send someone with a little bit of talent who can sing in key, and then we might stand a chance of getting a point. Mm. Um, halcyon days when we can get a point. If we only finish last, I think that's a win. We can we can declare ourselves winners if we don't come last, but. There we are. Right. Bye, everybody. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Sorry about that. Bye. Oops.